Well, I want to invite you to join me in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9 this morning, I was thinking as we're seeing, I'm so thankful that every Sunday uh, during this time we open up God's Bible or God's Word and that's what we're going to focus on. This is not a time where, oh, I wonder what I can say to people that will help them. What do people really need? Uh, What we need is God's Word. And so it's a joy every single Sunday to open it up, trusting that God's Word's alive and that He is going to work uh, in and through it this morning. Uh, If you care about people and ministry and following in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, sooner or later, as you start to intertwine your live life with other people's lives and invest in other people and try to help other people and pray for other people, all those sorts of things, sooner or later you start to run into uh, what we might call uh, the hard cases. And they come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, the person who is particularly hardened to the gospel or the person who is just nonchalantly living in blatant sin. The person who's, frankly, just indifferent to their spiritual needs. Or the marriage that's about to blow. Uh, the long-standing interpersonal conflict that's super, super messy. Uh, the person that's absolutely enslaved to some besetting sin and that's been going on for years and it's like they just can't escape from it. The list could continue indefinitely. Followers of Jesus encounter intense spiritual needs. And such was the case for the other nine disciples in Mark chapter 9, while Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain with Jesus, where he was transfigured before them. Well, the other nine disciples were down below, trying just their dead-level best to carry on Christ's work, just as he had called them and us to do. And as they did that, they encountered a particularly intense uh, spiritual need, and they attempted to address that need and the concern, but we might say that they failed. In Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, Jesus has a crucial lesson for these men that you and I would likewise do well to learn, and it relates to the way in which you minister. You must minister in total dependence upon Jesus. Look with me at Mark 9. I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 14 down through verse 29, and we'll just try to capture this whole story and then jump into it. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father and the child cried out and said, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In this text, we find four forms of powerless ministry, and they all stem from the exact same problem. They are all forms of ministry that do not trust or rely on God's power. Uh, these, these forms of ministry fail to demonstrate dependence upon Jesus to meet the need. Ultimately, it's a faith, or we might say trust issue, a reliance issue upon the Lord. And it's worth pointing out that well-intentioned followers of Jesus tend to just kind of drift into these powerless forms, deficient forms of ministry, often without even realizing it. I mean, these, these are the disciples. They're trying to do the right thing. They're there. They're present. They're engaged with the need. They're engaged with the person. There's a lot of other people who aren't doing that, but they are. They're well-intentioned, and yet it would appear that, that whatever the problem is, they've just kind of drifted into it, and they don't even realize it. You could easily do one, if not all, of these powerless forms of ministry. So let's look at these four powerless forms of ministry together. The first one is this. It's presumptuous ministry. Presumptuous ministry is powerless ministry. There's a boy who has a demon. But according to verse 18, the disciples were not able. They did not have the power to cast it out. And you start to think about this and it it makes no sense. The careful reader of Mark, you, you start scratching your head going, well, wait a second. Jesus gave these men authority over the unclean spirits. Back in in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, they should have been able to cast this demon out. But something is wrong. Remember back in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, when Jesus called the 12 disciples and he began to send them out two by two. And the specific wording of that text is that he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then later in Mark chapter 6, the apostles return to Jesus in verse 30, and they tell him all that they had done and taught. It was great, smashing, ministry success. Well, it would appear that by the time we get to Mark chapter 9, I mean, it's just ministry success, ministry success, ministry success. By the time we get to Mark chapter 9, the disciples appear to have become acquainted with that ministry success. Whatever their ministry hands touched uh, turned into gold. And somewhere along the way, it would appear that they began to assume that this is just kind of automatic. I mean, we're with Jesus. And he gave us authority over these unclean spirits. And this is what we kind of, this is just what happens. Presuming on God's power and depending on it are polar opposites. Presumptuous ministry is powerless ministry. You cannot sit there and presume on ministry success. The disciples thought that they could just step in there and boom. 
And presumptuous ministry like that, we see that it, it invites trouble. Look back at verses 14 to 16. And just look for the trouble in these verses. And when they, Peter, James, John, and Jesus, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him, to Jesus, and greeted him. And he, Jesus, asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Jesus observed two things when he comes down the mountain. The first thing he sees is a massive crowd around the nine disciples. And he also sees a great argument between the scribes and the nine. And Jesus is welcomed by the crowd, but as soon as that happens, he immediately asks about the argument. The scribes had no doubt seized upon this moment and were taking up the attack. That's what they've done all along in the Gospel of Mark thus far. But presumptuous ministry, it invites trouble like that. It undermines the ministry of Jesus and it ends up providing ammo to his opponents, so to speak. And further, presumptuous ministry invites failure. Look at verses 17 and 18. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, here's the story. Here's what happened. I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So a man steps forward and told Jesus what had happened. What is it? It's a story of failure and inability. When you step out and do ministry in your own strength, it is a recipe for that, for failure. God is not really in the habit of blessing presumptuous ministry like that. It's powerless ministry. Uh, We have a car that has been plagued with some kind of intermittent starting issue. It will literally start 100 times in a row. And then when you like drive it out to the West End, you're like, yeah, it started 100 times. It's no big deal. You drive it all the way out there and turn the key and nothing It's a very frustrating thing. We did that, had it towed home, and it started on the driveway. (laughs) This is where I'm living. It's stressful. Anyways, though, the nature of the problem makes it extremely hard to diagnose. I call a mechanic, and well, we can't replicate it. How can we diagnose the problem? Like, it's just really hard to pinpoint what's going on. So life continues. I'll get stranded again, and I'm going to call one of you and ask for help. But the problem with the car, what I do know is it's a power supply issue. The battery's fine. There's plenty of juice. But for some reason or another, the the power in the battery is not making it to the starter intermittently. The battery is not dead. When it fails like that, it creates immense problems, especially in winter, as you can imagine. And here are the disciples, and they are turning the key again and again and again and again. And it's getting frustrating. And now there's conflict. Now there's arguing. All these things are going on. They're turning the key again and again and again, but no power. And it's the same sort of thing. It's a power supply issue. It's not that that power isn't there or that that it's not available, but it is not getting there. And in their situation, it's not as complicated as my vehicle. It's more like the battery cables aren't even connected, guys. They were presuming on God's power instead of depending on it. That's not how you want to do ministry. It's powerless ministry. And so you must minister in total dependence on the Lord. The power is his and it is needed here. 
This week, when you speak into the life of the person who represents that quote-unquote hard case, or you do just ministry in any way, shape, or form, what are you going to rely on? Your degrees and theological training? All the time that you have spent with Jesus? Your past ministry experience and success? Hey, well, uh, this has always worked. And so it's going to work here. Your arranging of ideas and words, your ability to convict or persuade someone, your, your just faithfulness and consistency to address the problem. Well, we're just going to keep at this one. And we're going to stay at it, and we're going to stay at it, and we're going to stay at it. Uh, ministry formulas, I mean, you just think of, of all different types of ministry. We could even take something like church planting. It's, it's um, been emphasized a lot in the last couple decades, which is awesome. And I think what happens, you get in these church planting movements, and this is what we do. We step into this community, we step into this town, and we roll out our, 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 we unpack our box, and this is what we do every single time because this is what works. Well, it may be that that's awesome. But at the end of the day, what really works is God. It's easy to drift into presumptuous ministry, and I think we're being cautioned here, don't go there. You have to minister in total dependence on the Lord. Presumptuous ministry is powerless ministry. And it actually goes hand in hand with another form of powerless ministry. If you, if you engage in presumptuous ministry, you will be engaging in this other form of ministry. And why don't we just call it this, performer ministry. That's our second form of powerless ministry. Performer ministry is powerless ministry. Your greatest performance won't do anything for any person with any kind of spiritual need. People don't ultimately need you, and there's a simple fact that their problems are way too big for you. You are personally powerless to help. What people need is Jesus. They need his power in their lives. They need the power of the gospel in their lives. And it is God's plan for people to encounter his power actually through you. It's not, hey, just sit back and you're not even, don't, you don't need to do anything. No, like, God wants his, his followers to be engaged in ministry. But anything that happens is going to be because of him. Not us, not them. And if you're not depending on the Lord's power, what that means at the end of the day is you're simply performing. And that won't do. I think we need to understand that the disciples were Jesus' representatives. So in verse 17... When the boy's father described having previously brought his son to the disciples, that's not actually the language that he uses. He says it this way. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. He, he hadn't actually brought his son face to face with Jesus yet. He's talking about bringing his son to the nine. And this father and son should have encountered Jesus' power through his representatives, but they didn't. All they got was the powerless performance of nine men because those nine men were not actively depending on the Lord, and they probably didn't even realize it. And after the father told Jesus what had happened, Jesus speaks up. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, and it's a little bit unclear just exactly who he's addressing here. Maybe everybody, maybe the disciples, I'm not exactly sure. But he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Oh, faithless generation. 
The problem was one of faith, one of trust. No one in the situation is actually relying on Jesus. Notice Jesus' words at the end of verse 19. He says, bring him to me. That's what's needed. That's what people need. People don't need you. When you minister, people will get you or they will get Jesus. You can't be a person's conscience. I mean, man, no doubt you felt that temptation. Like if I could just make you feel this way in your conscience, like what the Bible says, if I could just get your conscience to feel that way, you can't be the Holy Spirit. You can't save anybody. You can't change anybody. And what that means at the end of the day is what people need isn't you. People's problems are too big for you. The disciples are in way, way, way over their heads. Let's look at the verses that describe this boy's condition. We've already looked at verses 17 and 18, but let's consider them again. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. And he explains why. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Okay, so big picture, the boy's demon-possessed. And the demon has made it so that the boy cannot hear, he cannot speak. He throws, the demon throws the boy on the ground in violent, destructive seizures. Uh, from a medical perspective, it looks like this boy has an intense form of epilepsy. But the larger story is that he is under Satan's power. This is spiritual. And then look at verses 20 to 22. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And in verse 20, they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, or Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often casts him into fire and into water to destroy him. The demon is literally trying to kill or destroy this young man, and it's been going on ever since he was just a little boy. We observe that this demon is well-established in this young man. The condition is long-term, and it is critical, uh, throwing him into fire so that he'd be burned, throwing him into water so that he would drown. We have critical, desperate human need. And as you step into people's lives and you try to, to, to minister to people, this is the space that you will find yourself in. Long-standing problems, deeply, deeply entrenched patterns of sin and destruction, spiritual warfare. I mean, you're watching sin and just seeing like wakes and wakes and wakes of destruction following that you're watching people blow up their lives spiritual bondage and slavery desperate human need and i think what we're finding here is people do not need you people's problems are too big for you people need jesus jesus said in verse 19 he said bring him to me people need jesus they need his power and the power of the gospel Performer ministry is powerless ministry. If what people get is you, they have not gotten what they need. It's powerless ministry because people don't get Jesus, they get you. And even on your very best day, that is not enough. 
a revival known as the Great Awakening was sweeping across New England. And on July 8, 1741, Jonathan Edwards stood up and he preached what has since become a, no, a very well-known sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached it in a community that was considered hardened, at least in comparison to all these other communities that were greatly responding to the gospel. It was the community of Enfield. And as Edwards stood up and preached that day, God blessed the preaching of his word in an extraordinary manner. In fact, people, they were crying and they were weeping, and it was so loud that uh, Edwards couldn't even finish his sermon. He just had to stop. Instead, the pastors went down uh, among the people. They prayed with them in groups, and many people came to saving faith in Christ that day. Uh, You've probably heard of that sermon, but what you may not know is that Jonathan Edwards had actually preached sinners in the hands of an angry God before. He preached it at a place called Northampton in his own home church. And when he did that, prior to this occasion, there were no reported just astonishing results or response or emotion at that time of preaching. But now he comes to this place called Enfield, this town that everyone's saying has been holding out against God's work and the revival. And God blessed the preaching of his word in, in an extraordinary manner. Same preacher, same sermon, drastically different results. And I I bring that up for one reason. I'm not trying to highlight what Jonathan Edwards did or didn't do. I'm not trying to say, well, he depended on God here or there or anything like that. I just want to highlight a single thing, that power does not belong to the person. Jonathan Edwards, exact same sermon, two different places and two totally different responses. Power does not belong to the person, but to the Lord. Performer ministry is powerless ministry, which means that you need to minister in total dependence on God. If anything great or remarkable or powerful is going to happen, it will be because of the Lord. It will be because of his power. There's a third form of powerless ministry that we want to consider. Pessimistic ministry is powerless ministry. It's easy to look at the hard cases and be really pessimistic. And I think if you've been very engaged in (coughs) in ministry, you can sympathize with this and go, oh, yes. (laughs) I doubt that person will ever get saved. I mean, they've heard the gospel for 40 years now, and they just get harder and harder. That situation over there, that's not worth anybody's time. It's just time to retreat and pull back be done. That's a lost cause. Anyone engaged in ministry can drift into that headspace really just in a heartbeat. I mean, I can tell you, I've certainly been there, and I would imagine you have too. And at this point in the story, the question starts to emerge, do the people who are trying to help this boy, the disciples, uh, the boy's father, Do they trust and believe that Jesus has the power to help him? Pessimistic ministry is powerless ministry. In verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? I mean, this is bad. And I think one person made a very helpful observation about Jesus' question there. Jesus is not merely interested in a case history on the boy. 
I need some details here, you know, like how long has it been going on? And let me get this all straight so that I can be a good physician. No. He's helping the father to confess something. How desperate his need is. And at the same time, showing them that he has no other resource but Jesus Christ. And when the boy's father, really coming to this realization, asked Jesus for help, Jesus makes it clear to the father that faith sets no limits on God's power. Look at uh, the father's request at the end of verse 22. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The boy's father, interestingly enough, has great confidence in the compassion of Jesus. He's not questioning his care. Uh, that's not what on, what's on his mind. But there is a question mark over Jesus' ability. Here's the father's words. If you can do anything. And notice how Jesus responds to that statement in verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can All things are possible for one who believes. Faith is not pessimistic. It's not even optimistic. It's confident that all things are possible. If Jesus wants to do something, Jesus can do it. If God wants to do something, that is not hard for him to do. God is powerful enough to do anything. Faith refuses to set limits on God's power. One person said faith must always free itself from the disastrous presumption of doubt and the certainty that with God nothing is impossible and that his majesty becomes most visible when human resources have become exhausted. Faith refuses to set limits on God's power. He is God. He can do whatever he wants. If he wants to save that person, he can save that person. If he wants to set that person free, he can set that person free. Faith fixes its eyes on the Lord. Look at verse 24. Immediately, I mean, the the father hears this, and immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I just love the, the raw nature of this. This man is human. I believe, but there's there's help. His statement reveals something remarkable, namely that the key is not the depth of our faith, but the direction of our faith. His faith is, there's tension there, there's struggle there, there's, there are spiritual battles going on there, but he's looking at Jesus. This man's faith is feeble, but it's fixed. And that's what God calls all of us to do. Our, our faith is feeble, we do tend towards doubt, but what are we going to look at? We're going to look at Jesus. And faith often experiences the power of God. Look at verses 25 and 27, and let's just see here what Jesus does. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Pessimistic ministry is powerless ministry, and it often misses out 
on seeing God's power displayed. You must minister in total dependence on the Lord, trusting that he can do whatever he wants. Jesus said that. I can, I can do anything I want. Do you believe that? Now, of course, the choice is up to him. Uh, we don't want to drift into some sort of name it and claim it. Well, okay, I prayed it, and so God's going to do it. We, we recognize and affirm God's sovereignty that the choice is up to him. But the question is, do you believe that he can do anything? And have you drifted into pessimistic ministry? Yeah, that's never going to happen. I'm just going to not think about that one anymore. Or I'm done. And maybe you need to repent of that and just say, God, please forgive me. I I have not been ministering uh, in faith. I have not been ministering looking at you knowing who you are. God, forgive me. And help me to keep my eyes fixed on you as I minister. The fourth form of powerless ministry is prayerless ministry. Uh, Look at verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? I mean, the disciples here are bewildered. They're legitimately asking this question. They don't know why they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy. After all, Jesus had given them authority over the unclean spirits. And what just happened? So when they get a private moment alone with Jesus, they ask their question, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus' answer here is as short as it is convicting. And it's essentially this. You didn't ask. They had not depended on him. And one of the primary ways that God's people do that is through prayer. Prayerless ministry is powerless ministry, and it is, it is an amazing gauge of your dependence on the Lord. Prayer expresses dependence on God. Look at verses 28 and 29 again. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? In verse 29, he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. One person said that prayer is faith turned to God. And Jesus is just graciously highlighting for these men, you have conducted ministry in a way that did not rely and depend on me. Prayer expresses dependence on the Lord, and there is no alternative to that, to that dependence on God. Listen carefully to Jesus' response again. He said, this kind cannot be driven out. It's impossible. Cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The only way to do ministry is the dependent way. And one, if not the primary way you do that is through prayer. And Jesus is highlighting that this is a very intense situation with what's going on with this boy. And maybe there are senses in which it's a bit unique from other circumstances. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this. This will not happen unless God does it. And you've got to pray. Are you praying, God, your power is needed, and I see that, and I recognize that, and I realize I am not the answer for this, for this person. I am not the one who ultimately can meet this need. God, your power is needed. Would you please unleash it here? 
I have listened to many people describe significant moments in their spiritual lives. I, I may have the opportunity to do that more than most just as a pastor. I think often as people join our church and we do um, elder interviews and we hear people's stories about uh, coming to faith in Christ, uh, but even just in everyday pastoral ministry, I, I, I have the joy of talking to people and people sharing their stories and their struggles and things that God's done for them. And just have had the chance to hear many people describe significant moments in their spiritual lives. And I, I just noticed after a while that I would hear this, see the same pattern again and again as people talked, spoke. People would say like things like this. One day, all the lights just came on and God saved me. I'd heard the gospel again and again and again and again, but I was sitting there in that service, and the gospel was being preached, and it was just boom. All the lights came on. I hadn't heard anything new. And just like that, God turned the lights on, and he saved me. Or another person might say, you know, I was just reading my Bible uh, one day on my lunch break, and this verse just struck me, just walloped me over the head. And I realized like what I was doing was sin or this needed to happen and that needed to happen. It's just this one phrase of this one verse that just got me. Or my friend said this or that in passing and I, they probably wouldn't even remember saying it, but I could not shake it. And, and this pattern of people describing things happening almost in a moment. A moment where God just did something. And some time ago, kind of noting that pattern, it's just this very, I think, humble pattern in ministry. And I started praying. This was the phrase that I put in my own, on my own prayer list that I refer to regularly. I started praying that God would do in moments what I cannot do in years or ever. I, just trying to minister myself you get struck with this realization that I could spend endless hours with someone. I could preach a dozen sermons and a person could hear the gospel here at Beaumont Baptist Church from my lips 40 years of me preaching the gospel. I could share the gospel with my children again and again and again and again. You and I can minister and we can minister and we can minister and we can minister. But at the end of the day, God just needs to do something great that only he can do. And we must never forget that as we minister. And so I think that we should pray the type of prayer that I just described. God, would you do in the moment, in moments, what I, what we cannot do in years or ever. And that's what's gone on with this boy. He had a demon. He was possessed for years. And then, boom, one day he was set free. Prayerless ministry is powerless ministry. Which means we have to minister in total dependence on the Lord. Many of you at the start of this year uh, got connected with a pr another prayer partner from our church. And I just want to encourage you, maybe this week when you meet to pray, maybe you've been sharing requests. And I just want to encourage you, when you meet to pray together this week, to try to very much pray this way. God, we, we do have these burdens. We've been praying for this person. We've been praying for that person. We've been praying about this need, this spiritual battle, this person to come to Christ, this, this person to grow. Maybe it's us. <laughs> 
And God, as we pray, we are coming in dependence on you, recognizing that you must do this. And we are asking you, we are begging you to unleash your power here. God, you are needed in this situation. You must minister in total dependence upon Jesus. Uh, Ministry conducted in reliance on the Lord is powerful ministry. Not because that power is in us. But it is powerful ministry. Powerful ministry does not presume. It does not perform. It is not pessimistic, nor is it prayerless. It actively depends on the Lord, confident that he can do whatever he pleases. And so I hope that you and I, by God's grace, we will depend upon the Lord as we faithfully engage in ministry. (coughs) Will you bow your head with me?